0: welcome to the fitness and lifestyle podcast with me your host danny kennedy and you're listening to episode number 61 and today's guest is cliff wilson all right guys welcome back to this week's episode of the podcast and we're extremely privileged to have cliff wilson on the show today so cliff thanks for joining us man oh it's my
1: pleasure thank you for having me on
0: no problems now, for the listeners, mate, some of them that may not know who you are and what you do, do you want to give us a bit of background about yourself and, I guess, your journey so far?
1: Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, so, I am a professional natural bodybuilder. Uh, I turned pro last year in 2016. Um, and I've been competing myself since 2008. And so, uh, you know, I've been at it quite a, a while compared to some people. And um, so, when I did, I did my first show in 2008, and just before I did my first show, Um, I I was approached by a couple of guys in my local gym who wanted to do their first bodybuilding show and they asked me if I'd help them. And so I wasn't sure if I was ready to coach people, but I knew one thing I knew is I knew a hell of a lot more than they did. So I knew that I could at least help them from doing anything disastrous. Um, and for myself, I had always, uh, taken a pretty scientific approach. I've been, um, you know, I'd use my experience that I had from my own bodybuilding career along with what I knew um, about the research, and I kind of just combined it into my own style. And uh, so, as I helped those two guys get ready for their first show, um, you know, they they both did extremely well. Uh, they, they both ended up winning, and then when they did really well, uh, I had a few more people ask me to coach them, and, and they, they did really well. And actually, if I remember right, it was like eight of the first nine people that I put on stage ended up winning the overall title. Shit. And before yeah yeah good and so strike right <laughs> yeah and so you know I was lucky to work with some great people early on and then you know combine that with you know the plan that I had with their hard work and their trust in me um for somebody who was rather unproven was it was a really good situation and before I knew it, this was a business yeah. <laughs> it was uh I, I was i was making a living off of it um i I started doing this uh full time in two thousand twelve very early in two thousand twelve so i've been at it a little over five years now full-time and um you know i I was doing it part-time before that and uh yeah it's just been one crazy crazy ride
0: (laughs) yeah for sure so when you when you first started um as you mentioned you picked up those clients relatively quickly and you you mentioned you were unsure whether or not you actually kind of knew enough to be able to coach them were you kind of giving them all a similar approach in regards to their comp prep um because that's what worked for you or what, what was the go there
1: well, you know, that's kind of funny. Uh, and this may take us off on a little bit of a tangent, but I don't mind. Um, <clears throat> so my first two clients were actually black, and I'm white. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, uh, and it's kind of funny because I got to know them. You know, They were my first two clients, so I, I was just putting all my effort into them. And uh, as a white guy prepping black guys for the first time, uh, it was kind of a rude awakening because I was trying to take the exact same approach that I did with myself. Yeah. And I tell people a lot of times that prepping – uh, prepping white competitors and black competitors, or you know, doing diets for white people versus black people—they're, you need a different approach. There, there's definitely different genetics at play. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. And, yeah, and, and I actually believe that prepping those two guys very first in my career uh, set a pretty, put a really good foundation in my brain where um, my approach was each person is unique. Because for the first couple of months, I tried prepping them like I knew how to prep myself. Yeah. And it was a disaster. <laughs> yeah. It didn't go well. Uh, their, their weight didn't move. didn't They didn't lose weight the way I anticipated. Um, they didn't feel good at the times that I anticipated they would feel good and perform well. And, uh, you know, overall, it just didn't go well. And actually, a couple months into it, I apologized, though. I said, listen, guys, this isn't going well. <laughs> I said, uh, <laughs> I said, you know, my approach that I've been taking isn't working. And I told them, you know, let's try something new. And so I kind of started thinking outside the box and things really started clicking. So yeah. we kind of reset a couple months in. And that was great for me as a new coach because uh, it really brought it home immediately in my career that different people need different approaches.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a blessing in disguise because, like you said, um, you know, a lot of people will just continually stick to whatever they think works for them and it comes back to that correlation correlation versus causation thing I guess so the the fact that you were able to pick that up so early is probably like you've mentioned is probably um, probably set you up for even more success compared to what you would have had I guess if you um, if that had have worked for those first clients and you probably most likely would have stuck to that approach for a bit longer do you think
1: oh absolutely and and even now uh, I look around and I have looked around if you look at even even the better coaches, you know, the better coaches in the industry, and just when you look around and you see a lot of coaching, um, if you look at coaches, their best clients are usually in their own demographic. Yeah. Guys, guys are better at prepping guys, girls are pre- better at prepping girls, white guys are better at prepping white guys, and black guys are better at prepping black guys because they know themselves best, mm-hmm. and then it ends up working with their similar demographic. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, mate, what when you started out, so you obviously coming back to you now, not so much you as a coach, but you as a, an actual lifter and a trainer yourself, when you started out um, with lifting, you know, what are some of the mistakes that you, I guess you made and then now you can pass on some advice to those that are beginning um, in regards to their training and nutrition to kind of help them miss the mistakes, I guess, that you or even I have kind of made in the past?
1: Yeah, you know, the, the biggest mistakes I made are... <laughs> Both nutritionally and with training, tends tended to be revolving around extremes. Yep. Um, you know, it, it, I had periods of time early on in my career, training-wise, where uh, I was appeal. It appealed to me to try. Um, you know, the old school uh, high intensity hit training, yep. where you would do very few sets, but all the absolute failure, um, and things like max OT training. And I tried those and. You know, the intensity was really high, but the volume was just very, very low. And so I didn't progress the way I should have been progressing while I was doing it. Mm -hmm. And not to say it can't be useful for short periods, but I was just trying to use this at all times. And then, of course, as the pendulum swung the other way, I went through periods where I was just volume, just insane amounts of volume. (laughs) And I still actually do use pretty high volume compared to most people, but I definitely went over over the edge for a while. and so. Uh, learning to find because this is an extreme sport and success usually does come from some version of extreme measure but learning to stay away from those those high and low end extremes and even, even nutritionally I think beginners uh, and I've been guilty of this even before I did my first show ever um, I was really guilty of the whole concept of you've got to eat big to get big uh, I, I got way too fat Early on in my career, because yeah. I was trying to, I was trying to just gain all the muscle at once without you know without any thought to how much fat I was putting on yeah uh, and then same thing goes when the, then when newbies try to get lean, then it's just crash diet, starve yourself, <laughs> and so uh, you know the problem is beginners usually want it now, and then yeah. they think they make the mistake of thinking that an extreme approach will give it to them now,
0: yeah. And, I think a lot of that comes from, uh, especially social media. For example, someone starting out, a lot of the time will be, you know, will be having a crack in the gym because they've seen a photo or they follow someone on social media that does look the way they want to look. Um, but what they don't have in mind is the fact that they've probably been training for, you know, however many years beforehand to get to the point where they are now. Um, but as you mentioned, so many people just think that it's going to be a lot quicker than what it actually is.
1: Oh yeah, and and you know, social media really feeds into it. Uh, I absolutely hate. I hate the uh, like those memes that you see all the time that say like, uh, while I'm out there, while you're out there sleeping, I'm out here grinding and you know <laughs> doing my cardio. And it gives people like it gives people the impression you shouldn't sleep. Like the more you torture yourself, the faster you're gonna go. And uh, I just I hate those because it's like get some sleep for God's sake. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna progress a lot faster if you get some sleep and then go train. <laughs> Yeah, I actually had a,
0: a seminar on the weekend with um, with the three DMJ guys, and that was one of the one of the topics that we kind of covered. Actually, is how social media plays into that whole kind of you know, outwork like hustle grind type thing when it's uh, so far from optimal.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's the big problem too. Is there is you you do need to outwork your opponent, but people usually have an inaccurate perception of what that looks like. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Uh, Now, so some of the listeners,
0: uh, I guess, are probably a little bit more advanced. Uh, We've got a bit of a mix between newbies, intermediate and advanced. So for those that are on that advanced, do you want to go into a little bit of detail about your, I guess, career so far as both an athlete and a coach in the bodybuilding industry um, and kind of have a chat about some of the guys that you've coached and and your experience for kind of what
1: it takes to become successful in the sport? Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'll start. I'll start with my coaching experience first, uh, because I had I had coaching success long before I ever had personal success on the bodybuilding stage. Um, so you know, I, I I did I was fortunate enough to have a lot of gifted clients early on in my career and clients that put their trust in me. Yeah, and so um, you know, in the past seven years now as a coach, I've actually had eighty five clients turn pro, and I don't remember the exact number off my head, but something like forty plus um, pro titles, and then uh, I coached six different natural world champions now some of those pro yeah and some of those pro cards um, are in most of them are in the natural divisions yeah. but I do also coach a small group of un, uh, untested non natural athletes as well okay um, it's not my primary uh clientele, but I do work with some non naturals. Um so uh yeah, you know, I, I've been really fortunate to have success with a lot of different people and, and there's a good range of them. Like I said, bikini, I've kind of pride myself on working with everyone, bikini, bodybuilding, figure, physique. And so I, I like to have a good mix going on. Um so you know, over this time, seven years that I've had a lot of coaching success, uh it's interesting because then in my personal bodybuilding career, because I take my personal bodybuilding career every bit as seriously as I do my coaching career and uh, meanwhile I'm having (laughs) from 2010, 2011 especially, I start having all these clients just win pro card after pro card and uh, you know world champions and meanwhile my own career is just struggling. (laughs) Uh, I can't, in 2011 I took dead last at my show. Uh, 2013 I made a lot of improvement but I uh, <clears throat> I took second to last in one show and then actually in the very next show I missed my pro card by one place so yeah, right. yeah. and then I took three or more years off and then last year I did one show uh, won my class won the overall and turned pro awesome uh, so the thing that's pretty interesting is I didn't do anything differently with myself that I wasn't already doing with my clients the biggest thing just came down to genetics yeah uh and you know, people don't like to hear that. People don't like to hear that genetics can limit your rate of progress and that genetics can ultimately dictate how far you can go in something. But especially in the sport, they hate hearing that. But it's just the truth. Um, I always put it this way: uh, <clears throat> I could practice. For my entire life at basketball. And don't get me wrong, I'm actually pretty good at basketball. I played in college, but I could play my entire life. I could play my entire life and devote my entire life to becoming as great as I can at basketball. And then LeBron James could take 10 years off and never touch a ball, never run. But I guarantee if I stepped on the court with him, I would not beat him. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly know what I mean? Rough. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a genetic component to that where on my best day, I will never beat LeBron James on his worst day. Yeah, it's just just how it goes. Um, and so, when you look at what it takes to be successful at a high level, uh, you need to first look at genetics. Um, you know, I've had six different world champions. Uh, some of them were a few, uh, Some of them were really dedicated, really diligent, and it took everything they had to get to that level. Um, and I've had some of them where they cheated on their diet a lot. Um, mm. You know, they they struggled to stick with the plan. But even with their mess ups and with their setbacks, they still won a world championship. And they probably beat a lot of people that gave, you know, that didn't mess up on their plan once. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, so first and foremost, your genetics are going to mean are going to mean an awful lot in this process. So once you get that out of the way, then the next thing is your plan. Is your plan appropriate? Is your plan set in place to where it will allow you to progress at your fastest possible rate that your potential will allow? Uh, And that's a spot where a lot of people, they mess up right away. And so, you know, I I think you need to always be analyzing your methods. Even as a coach, I change things almost every year uh that I do. Nothing drastic, because I do think I have a solid base of what my plans are for a lot of my clients, but I always change little approaches here, little approaches there. Mm -hmm. So I'm always you need to always be analyzing your plan, your approach. Um and then finally you come down to the last one and that's just how how intensely you carry out your approach. Do you stick with your plan? you execute well you not deviate from your plan and so um, when you combine all those things then it just becomes a matter of how long can you keep doing it Um, so I don't have great genetics for the sport of bodybuilding but I still became a professional bodybuilder and it took me longer than some of my clients took me a full 8 years from my first show almost 8 years to the day actually from my first show to become a professional bodybuilder and so, while that's a long time, I dedicated myself to the fact that I will continue executing my plan as long as it will possibly, as long as I will need to in order to carry out my goal. And so, um, you know, when you combine all those things together, it just becomes a matter of working the process over and over and over again, and then you'll go as far as you possibly can.
0: Yeah, you bring up a really good point there with the um especially with the whole genetics thing because like you said a lot of people just don't want to hear that um but in the end of the day it's the truth it's real and you know for some people it's just going to be a lot harder than others but as you mentioned if you're following the right approach you know you've got every every chance um to reach your full potential and and achieve your goals so that's really good mate. i wanted you to quickly run over um or explain sorry the rapid backload for those who haven't heard much about it and um you know i mean we could we could spend the whole podcast talking about this and peak week but we won't we won't do that so if you could just give us a brief uh rundown on on what that is and how you come up with it
1: yeah the uh the rapid backload is a is a protocol that I came up with for peak week, the final show before the final week before bodybuilding show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the rapid backload is essentially where, um, I have a period where I deplete carbohydrates in order to create some super compensation because, because, you know, the uh, carbohydrates are stored in the muscle tissue and they create fullness. And so, uh, I deplete it in order to create super compensation, which is, which will create more space in muscle tissue to store carbohydrates, and then the day before the bodybuilding show, uh, I'll usually load people, men anywhere from maybe 900 grams of carbohydrates up to 1300 grams of carbohydrates, and women probably anywhere from 500 to 900 grams of carbohydrates, um, that seems and nice. it, Yeah, it's pretty drastic, and I, and I also use a uh, very high water intake, yeah. usually between two and a half to three and a half gallons during the load day. Uh, and sodium intakes very high as well, anywhere from 4,000 up to 9,000 milligrams of sodium. And uh, it's it, it sounds scary. <laughs> it sounds scary <laughs> to a lot of people. Um, I can imagine. But yeah, but it's actually it's been really g- good for me. Uh, I started using it in 2011. Uh, I had this I had this idea that it could work. And did you so, try all this on on an athlete or on yourself? The first time I ever tried it, I wasn't lean enough to try it on myself. I would have. <laughs> that's, that's actually, you brought up a good point there. That's one thing that,
0: um, you know, I've, so what was the roundtable you did not long ago? Who was that with, sorry? Uh, Jeff Nippard. Yeah, so guys, I'll put the link to that in um, in the show notes so you can go into more detail about this. But you mentioned then that you weren't lean enough. So for this to actually work and be properly effective,
1: the athlete needs to be extremely lean, don't they? Yes. Yeah, If. If you do not have clearly visible striated glutes, do not try to backload, rapid backload. Yeah. Uh it will not work and the if you are not lean enough, it will be more likely to end in disaster because there's going to be more areas for spillover and for that uh water to occupy subcutaneous compartments. Uh, so do not try it if you're not yeah. lean. enough. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want people coming back and being like, "Damn it, Cliff screwed me over."
0: <laughs> had a thousand carbs before the show and drank a shitload of water, and I look like shit. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, we you mentioned how um, the ranges that you're working with carbohydrates with some athletes, what's the highest amount of carbs you've had an athlete take in the day before
1: a show? Uh, one time, I had somebody take in fifteen hundred and fifty. Uh, oh, that is unbelievable. Uh, that was. Yeah, that was the highest. He uh, it, and honestly, uh, it it worked really well. He turned pro, but that would be. I don't think if I ever thought somebody needed that much, I don't think I'd ever use the backload again because it was just too much food. Yeah, for him to tolerate, and I, I don't think in retrospect, I don't think it was the best approach because there does become a certain point where digestive abilities become an impediment yeah. to the process. And so, uh, yeah. So it, it, you know, in retrospect, I take a more conservative approach with him just because he needs more time to digest.
0: Yeah. And I'm uh, assuming on the, like on that day, the fat intake is quite low as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not as low as some people might think. Like if I had some people think that, you know, I'll keep it down around 20 grams, but usually I would say it's in the range of 40 to 50 grams of, of fat. Um, because you're just going to get extra fat with some of the food that you're eating, and it yeah, it adds up other foods. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really loading up fatty foods, but it just sort of comes with the foods that you're already eating.
0: Yeah, which is, um, you know, which is not a surprise when you're taking in close to fifteen hundred c- cups.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. It, oh, and, and you know, like you said, sorry. One last thing, I didn't, I didn't uh, answer your question from before. I did, I did try out the rapid backflow before I ever used it in a game time situation. Um, I had a client, uh, if if he ends up listening his name is lee kirkwood he's one of my earliest clients and i had this crazy idea that this could work and he was just about show lean and i was like hey i've got this crazy idea we can have you eat about a thousand carbs Do you want to try it and uh lee's always down for everything and he was like hell yeah i'll try it and so we ran through a full peak week i got up early with him we were treating it like a show day i got up early with him uh the the day the day after his load and we had some posing and I remember looking at it and I just thought, "Oh, yeah, this really is good. This is it." Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so I was I was pretty excited, but but the first time I ever did use it in a show situation, I was still nervous as hell. Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah.
0: That's awesome. Like, oh, Man, we could talk about this all day. I'd love to. But guys, as I mentioned, I'll put that link to the full kind of roundtable chat about peak week where Cliff goes into way more detail than what we can today for you to check out because it is extremely interesting. Man, uh, I wanted to move on to the topic of reverse dieting or also I guess known as the recovery diet. Um, again, we'll just quickly touch on this, but where do you stand with that? What are your kind of... Um, what are your beliefs in how quickly someone should get back to
1: maintenance and above with their calories post show? You know that's that's a good great question because uh, I actually just had a count. You said you were with 3DMJ recently, yeah. And I had a conversation with Alberto Nunez about this. Uh, we did a seminar together recently, and uh, as I was picking him up from the airport, we were talking about this on the on the way to the hotel. Um, so I know that the 3DMJ guys use the recovery diet where they really try to put some fat on quickly. Yeah. Uh, try to get just to get people out of that bottom level. Uh, and then I know that others really take the approach and then some people even go far farther than they do and, um, really just go right back to off season intake numbers. Yeah. Um, crazy. and then, and then on the other hand, you have some people that will add 10 carbohydrates per week, <laughs> um, and keep somebody almost at show conditioning for months. Uh, my approach is somewhere just a bit slower than the recovery diet. Okay. Uh, now it may seem like I'm nitpicking, <laughs> uh, when I say that, but when I reverse somebody now, the rate of reversal will be different for each person because first off, I need to look at their mental state. Yeah. If somebody is on the verge of cracking, I'm not going to slow this down. Yeah, I will go very quickly. Uh, but assuming somebody is mentally strong enough to take it, I like to go a little bit slower than the recovery diet because um, I believe, if I remember right, the premise behind the recovery diet is get some f- get the food up very quickly, uh, actually put intentionally put some fat on early, maybe five to seven pounds if I c- recall. I apologize if I'm wrong on that. Maybe five to seven pounds and get that five to seven pounds on rather quickly yep. so that they get back to feeling normal again um, and let hormones and testosterone levels – Uh, get back to normal Um, now I do think that there is a rate that is way too slow where testosterone levels will stay suppressed for a significant period of time but I've also found in some of the testing with my clients that even if you do add fat and calories back rather quickly testosterone levels just stay low for a certain period of time if you've really pushed it to the extreme with conditioning yeah to a certain degree no matter how fast you go some of that just does not come back if you've really gone to show level conditioning. Yeah. Um, and so what I really look at is performance. And here's my reasoning for going a little bit slower is that when you add food in after uh, calories have been at an extremely low level, the way they need to get to for a contest, um, so if you add calories back in, inevitably you're gonna see imp- performance increases. Uh, especially if you add some some of those calories like around training time, maybe just before or even immediately before training. Yeah. So I think, all I, think we've all- I think uh, all you've got to do is look at you know your
0: performance post refeed day or high carb day to really see the benefits that like that you're talking about now. And most of the time when you're in comp prep, that refeed day isn't actually going to be a huge bump in calories. So you know, you're right on the money there in regards to your performance being better with just a slight increase, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. And when I say slight, like say the first let's say somebody's at a contest level conditioning, their calories are very low. And let's say I add fifty to sixty carbohydrates and yep. they're in their, their pre training meal. Uh, for somebody who's been in a prep the whole time, that's gonna they're gonna feel like gold. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, and so we're gonna see performance increases. And inevitably those performance increases will uh, lead to some sort of muscle growth because you're just lifting heavier weight Yeah, and so um, a lot of times I'll see people's performance increase and so I kind of like to push it I don't want to go too slow I don't want to go intentionally putting on fat I mm-hmm. want to do everything that I can to keep the weight moving up at a certain pace mm-hmm. but more than anything keep performance increasing at a certain pace um, because if performance is increasing you know you are regaining some of that lost muscle tissue that you saw go away during your diet yeah and so i think if you're intentionally putting on fat then what's going to happen is you're going to reduce the amount of growth time that you're going to have because eventually you're going to need a mini cut so if if i can keep people in a growth phase longer by taking their uh their reverse a little, their reverse a little bit more slowly oh they'll reverse a little bit more slowly <laughs> uh then you, sorry, my right, up right, uh so if i can intentionally uh bring their performance up uh, without putting on a lot of body fat i increase the amount of growth time they're having before we need to do their next next mini cut yeah so for me it all revolves around performance rather than body fat if that makes sense
0: yeah and i guess you gotta look at the mental state on both sides of it as well obviously mentally it's extremely hard to do a slow reverse diet but if you're bumping calories up quickly, and you know all of a sudden within a couple of weeks you've gained, you know a shitload of weight, and you look nowhere, nowhere near like you did, you know, two weeks beforehand. The mental aspect of that is also quite hard as well. So, you've
1: yeah, find a fun, and, happy medium. And, and how many times have you heard people say they finish their prep, and then three months after their show, they're like, "Well, shit, I feel like I need a diet again." Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and, and so, I, I mean, honestly, when after I have somebody finish their show. I don't want them to even think about reducing calories at all for maybe nine months to a year Um, because, I mean, we shouldn't have to. You know, we've come from such a low level. Assuming they're diligent with their plan and assuming we've uh, increased calories at a good rate, then we really should not have to cut anything at all for a long time. It should be all up. 100%.
0: And in regards to the prep itself, is there a minimum amount of time that – you like a client to um, spend prepping for for a show or is it all kind of individual like what what is the minimum amount of time that you'll spend working with a client before a
1: bodybuilding show or physique show uh, you know it really depends on how much fat they have to lose yeah and this is this is one of the biggest things is I get a lot of people that message me on Instagram or Facebook and they just say what are your rates and <laughs> I like I can't answer that because I don't know how much yeah, the the person that needs to lose eighteen pounds for their show will need a drastically different amount of time than the person that needs to lose forty pounds. For their exactly show. right. Um, I I've actually had some clients that can comfortably maintain ten pounds over show weight. So in their cases, I'll usually do twelve week prep, something along those lines, yeah. and they handle it. But if somebody you know somebody needs to lose 25 pounds we're probably going to be looking at a 30 30 week prep something along those lines and so uh i i i know the the typical adage is they say lose one pound per week um or for people in australia i know your clients are, or your listeners are a lot from australia somewhere around a half a kilogram per week yeah but uh, i like to even allow a little bit more time because you never know what will happen exactly uh, right. a lot of people yeah, you, you have one stalled week, and then all of a sudden you have to lose double the next week. Mm. And, or if you get sick, which does happen a lot because there is um, immune suppression that occurs when you get very, very lean. So A lot of people do get a cold or something like that. Yeah, it's uh, Yeah, yeah. So you, know, I, I let you, you need to have some built-in cushion weeks because the worst thing that you can do is feel like you need to rush yeah exactly right and then
0: also obviously cortisol cortisol levels and stuff are going up especially if you're thinking to yourself I've got
1: you know I've only got five weeks left to get show ready and uh, I'm not even close yes yeah that's and and especially I hate it because uh, first time competitors are especially guilty of not giving themselves time and first time competitors are the ones that actually need the most time because they're going to be the most stressed they don't know what to expect they don't know if they're going to be good enough they don't know all this stuff so I would even say, if you're a first-time competitor, you give yourself even more time because you're you don't want to you don't want this to be a miserable experience, questioning whether or not you're going to be ready. Yeah, 100% agree. You mentioned earlier in the podcast about
0: your training volume, so your your actual training for yourself, you said is quite high. What is? Uh, do you follow a certain split at the moment, and what what have you found works best for you in regards to uh, overall volume and whatnot?
1: yeah my my training approach uh i always kind of laugh because i I always say that i started off with a um very calculated um progressive overload periodized approach and i've gradually over the course of my career uh transitioned to still some of that but more of a you know bro training training i'm not training each body part once i'm not training each body part once per week but um but usually, two to three times per week, but with a lot of volume. Uh, also, quite a few intensity techniques like drop sets, uh, supersets, rest pause, and even lately mile reps. Uh, because um, one thing that, first off, when it comes to periodization, I think some people uh, over periodize. I, I I agree that you need to um, control and manipulate rep ranges. And volume to yep. a certain degree, and and uh, and set them up in a way that will allow progression, uh, you know, progression of volume, progression of uh, of load. But one of the things that I think is done poorly is a lot of times with you know periodized programming is uh, people. Don't really end up listening to their body. They don't auto-regulate a lot of aspects of it. Uh, I think people can become too rigid with yeah. some of their periodization, too worried uh, about what numbers and reps they need to hit on that certain session and whatnot. Yeah, I, I, in fact, I hate it, and I was guilty of it. Yeah, uh, and it really held me back early on in my career, and 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 uh, I, I felt that sometimes I wasn't working as hard as I should, and I, I find that to be the case a lot of times. People that are really obsessed with programming and periodization, they're not working as hard as they should. And I was guilty of that in my career because, you know, they have on their paper it says, well, I'm supposed to reduce my load today. Well, what if you feel great today? You know what I mean? If you feel great today, then you go for it, (laughs) you know. Uh, Reduce your load on the days you feel like you don't feel up to it. You know, you don't feel quite as good. And um, so I, I think that there really needs to be a balance between manipulating the variables but also giving a little bit uh, more thought to the way you're feeling on a particular day and learning what your capabilities are. Because I, I really do believe that when it comes to volume, I, I, when it comes to volume and intensity, I think most beginners tend to overdo it, and I think a lot more advanced trainers tend to underdo it. Underdo it, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they I mean, think about it. You see a lot of advanced trainers, when you, when you see people in maybe their first two years of training, they're probably going to failure and beyond way too much. You see those guys, yeah. <laughs> you know, they've got their buddy practically lifting the weight off their chest and, the bench <laughs> and they failed four or five reps ago. Um, but when you see a lot more advanced trainers, you don't see them going to failure that often. Uh, you don't see them really pushing the volume limits. And uh, I think that it kind of, it needs to be the other way around. And, um, and I, I think that a lot more advanced trainees are guilty of not working hard enough and working too hard.
0: Yeah, I do I do tend to agree there, um, especially what you mentioned about the beginners going too hard and the more advanced guys almost going the opposite end.
1: Sorry, you go. Well, I was just going to say, you know, and I will say there's probably something to that. I think that um, also the guys that are more advanced have probably gotten there because they've learned to not burn themselves out. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so it might be some of the people that have made it ten years. They were never really big into the, uh, you know, the extreme intensity techniques. But I think you need to learn to develop that as you go along because um, if you want to really force your body to new limits after ten years of training, you need to push yourself to new limits. Yeah, a hundred percent, great
0: man. Uh, bro, well, before we finish up, um, I just wanted to find out if you have any, I guess, final tips on mindset in particular for both prep athletes and general population, um, you know, clients or, or trainers that, that might be listening that are working to transform their physique, obviously different ends of the spectrum, ones trying to get into the best possible shape of their life with the lowest body fat possible and most muscle mass, whereas others, you know, might just be they want to lose 10 kilos or, you know, whatever that is in pounds and just get in better shape than what they are. So in regards to mindset, is there anything in particular that you kind of pass on to your clients um, in that aspect?
1: Yeah, I, I would always tell people, uh, this may sound a little cliche at this time because it's been said by so many people, but it really holds true, is that you need to uh, find a middle ground for your expectations. And really focus on the process rather than the end result. Uh, for average people, a lot of times they look at maybe somebody famous that they want to look like. They look at whoever it may be that's popular, The Rock or somebody like that. Or you know they they see somebody on TV. They want they think I want to look like that, um, but they don't. Like you said earlier, they don't really give a lot of thought to how long does it take to look like that. Will you look like that in the next year or the next five years? You know you don't know. And they maybe aim too high, too quick. You know, you may have the potential to get to that level, but maybe not in the next year. You know, realize it could be the next five years. You don't know. Um, And then on the other hand, people that aim too low, they become so discouraged because they've just, they've aimed so low. uh, They don't really think they're capable of a lot. So overall, I think people need to stop expecting they need to stop looking at how they're going to look, and I actually just made a uh, Facebook post about this recently. You really just need to stop looking at where you're going to be. Um, focus on where you're at. If you're if you're running a marathon and you're in a race, you're not going to be pulling out binoculars every few uh, <laughs> few miles to take a look at the finish line and count how many people are in front of you. You're not going to pull out your binoculars and say, "Okay, that's where I'm going to be." You know where you're going. Yeah, it's just how long it'll take you to get there. You're going to be better off if you put the binoculars away and start focusing on the one or two steps in front of you so you don't step in a hole or step on a rock and twist your ankle. So, you yeah. need to just focus on the one or two steps in front of you and stop keep, stop looking at the end goal so much that's awesome advice man
0: cliff thanks so much for joining us today uh really appreciate it and i'm sure the listeners have taken a lot of value um from the show and hopefully we'll have you back on again at some stage in the near future but guys i'm going to put all of uh cliff's social media links um and his website and whatnot in the show notes below uh if you have any questions uh how how can these guys contact you
1: if they have have any questions or would you rather them contact me and me pass it on or uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, either way will work. My, my website, if they want to get a hold of me, is uh, info.teamwilsonbb at gmail.com, or they can go to my website, teamwilsonbb at g, uh, g, teamwilsonbb.com.
0: Awesome. All right, man, appreciate you coming on, and I uh, uh, hope you've enjoyed it.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thank, thanks again, Danny. I appreciate it
0: no worries guys if this is your first episode feel free to go back through and and check out some of our past episodes with our our past guests um if you are subscribed to the show already thanks so much for joining us today and i look forward to bringing you guys another episode next week